Hello. Now, before jumping into this episode, I want to let you know about a free online workshop that I'm going to be running in November 2022. So if you're listening to this episode around its time of release, be sure to save your spot. In my free online workshop, I'll be taking you through the four universal factors that will make or break your project. I'll share with you what these universal factors are and how you can use them to avoid uh, having them derail your project and also, you know, be able to use them to your advantage instead. And there's going to be super helpful information included whether you're planning to build new or to renovate your home. Now you can choose from a lunchtime or an evening session. I'm also going to be sending out a replay. So head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash register, R-E-G-I-S-T-E-R to register your details because I'd love to see you there. Now let me get on with this episode. So this is episode 256 in it. I'm going to be sharing seven criteria or checks to consider when you're choosing building materials and products for your future home. Choosing products and and building materials for your project, that can be a big and confusing process for both interior and exterior selections. So having this selection criteria is going to be super helpful in making better choices and also comparing products with each other when you're finding it difficult to decide. If you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus uh, links to the resources that I'm going to be discussing, you can do that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 256. That's the numbers 256. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website, and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take, and the best way to create a home that works, feels great, and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. 
I'm often getting asked about specific building materials, about products and brands. And in the world of building and renovating, it can feel like there's a lot to choose from. And what I see homeowners often find as they dive into their projects and particularly as they work with professionals is that as a homeowner, you're generally often only seeing a small percentage of what is actually available out there in the marketplace. You know, professionals do have knowledge about brands and products and they have access to businesses that can be difficult for homeowners to be aware of or to be able to deal with with directly. And so the options can open up even further for you as you move along your project journey with your team. Now, as someone in the industry, staying up to date with the latest materials and products and also the legislation that applies to them, that can take up a lot of time. I spend a lot of time looking for and researching and finding out about building products and materials and those kinds of things. And often my home method members, they're also asking about items and products as well. And that can guide my research when I have specific questions from them. In fact, you know, many of the guests that we've had on this podcast are because we've been discussing those products inside Home Method. Now, it can be really common for businesses like mine who are operating online and who run online courses to actually create partnerships with with businesses, you know, and to be able to share more about their products and also organise savings and discounts for their course members with those businesses. And there's a few other, you know, renovating and building courses out there that I know have that selling point that the discounts that you can access by joining their program pay for the cost of the course itself. Now, you may wonder why Undercover Architect doesn't do this in the same way. And to be frank with you, it would probably make it a lot easier to run my business and to attract people into, into my online programs, particularly into Home Method, if I did do this. However, it has actually been a conscious decision for Undercover Architect to not become a walking billboard for random and different brands and products. You know, I have had partnerships with brands here and there. If you've been a long time listener of the podcast and a long-time follower of Undercover Architect, you'll know that Caribou Lighting, for example, in Brisbane, that was Undercover Architect's very first podcast sponsor way back in season three. There's also a coupon code still that's available for Undercover Architect members for their Kiko LED lighting. Uh, Colourbond, they sponsored season six of the podcast and DIY Blinds, uh, Evan Montero was a guest, uh, the founder of DIY Blinds on season 11 of the podcast and they still offer Undercover Architect members a saving on DIY blinds with our special coupon code. You know, these are all businesses that I really believe in and I've either used those businesses for over a decade in my own projects or I've got to know the founders really well or both of those things. But, you know, with the brands that have reached out to Undercover Architect and the brands that I've seen working with others in this online space, I've personally found this all a bit tricky to navigate. Now, firstly, I know I'm an architect first. I'm not a brand ambassador or a marketer or anything like that. And as an architect, I have specific professional obligations regarding liability. And whilst we can include all the legal disclaimers in the world, you know, this professional responsibility, it's been imprinted heavily on my brain in my architectural career. So it does impact the lens through which I see things. And also to be frank with you, And I'm going to speak really openly here. I have sat in meetings, in marketing meetings with some really big brands who I know and I've seen are in brand partnerships with others in this online space. And I've actually said to them, you know, to their marketing team, look, you know that X, I'm not going to talk about names here, but, you know, they're doing lots of footage with your product and they're actually not installing that product as per your manufacturer's specifications. So they're voiding your warranties by doing that. You're aware of that, aren't you? You know, they're showing homeowners that this is what they're doing with your product and this is what they're teaching homeowners with your products. You're aware of that, right? And they've actually sat there, their marketing people have sat there and said to me, yes, we know, 
but these people send so much traffic to our website and we get so many inquiries from their audiences and then we then break the news to those homeowners when they ring up or when their builders have to be the ones to tell them that they can't actually install those products like that. So we're okay with it because we're happy with the traffic that they're sending our way. Yep, right. Um, I'm not okay with that and I actually think it's irresponsible and I think it's irresponsible on the part of the brand ambassador sharing that kind of information and also irresponsible on the part of the company itself. You know, what I've seen in the 28 plus years as well in doing this is, you know, in working inside this industry is how much products can change over the years and they can go from, you know, for example, from being manufactured locally to being then manufactured offshore and their quality changing as a result. Or they can go from using specific, specific materials and manufacturing techniques to then changing them for cost or for other reasons. And so a product that I've used in the past that I might think, you know, was awesome then and, and was, you know, happily endorsing at one point can change and is no longer a fit for how I think it needs to measure up. So I only want to share and talk about products that I really believe in as great choices for your future home. You know, ones that I really think will stand the test of time, will deal with what homes can be subjected to over years and decades. And also ones that are made by businesses who are thinking long-term, who are improving and really focusing on their sustainability and they're taking care of their suppliers and clients. You know, when I worked at Mervac, as part of their senior design team, we actually had, Mervac had a customer relations department in each state that dealt with all the follow-up after the projects were sold and settled. And so the intel that they got from how owners used and experienced the projects that we were designing, you know, and would call up and, and talk about specific things or complain about specific things, you know, all of that stuff fed back into the design process. That and of course then construction's opinion on how workable various materials and products were, you know, all of that fed into our selections as designers. We had a list of products that were off limits that we weren't allowed to specify. And then any time that we wanted to use something new that had come on the marketplace or that we were interested in you know that we had to undertake a testing regime to actually demonstrate its viability to the team to construction to customer relations you know all of those kinds of things so you know and when you're putting things into buildings that you want to last decades or you want to ensure that the maintenance and the end of life replacement of that item doesn't cause huge headaches and dramas you know these are the things that you do and that's how I've been trained in my career i I just don't see that happening in a lot of the online projects and the reality TV that I see get shared publicly, which can be super challenging if you're a homeowner using these kinds of resources as inspiration for the materials and products that you're going to put into your own project. So I thought in this episode, I'm going to take you through the list of criteria, the selection criteria that I use to assess materials and products as a bit of a guide for you. And look, I'm not suggesting that you as the homeowner, that you need to become an expert in the world of building materials and products, okay, because there's a lot out there. What I'm hoping is that this guide helps you have more informed conversations with your team and with the salespeople that you're speaking to as well, you know, and if you're also working with a builder who says, look, we only ever use this product, which you can find builders will often say, then perhaps you can dig a little deeper into why they're saying that, you know, what their reasons are and whether their reasons are valid for your needs and your home. Now, before I share these seven things, these seven checks, these seven, you know, park collect, this selection criteria, 
please know, okay, that a product or building material meeting your local building code standards and legislative requirements, that's a given, okay? So it's not something that I feel I need to provide as a selection criteria. It can be super risky choosing things that don't meet, meet your local codes. So I really recommend that you don't. Hopefully it also goes without saying that the selections that you make should be fit for purpose as well. So some of these specific selection criteria that I'll take you through, they're going to help reinforce that for you and test whether that's actually the case or enable you to eliminate certain products and materials as well based on, you know, the kinds of things that I take you through. So let's dive into the seven things to check or the seven selection criteria when choosing materials and products for your future home. My first check in choosing building materials is to check the materials or the products sustainability credentials and that of the business as well. Now, if you've been listening to the Undercover Arctic podcast, you'll have heard me talk about the role that our homes play in reversing the impact of climate change and creating better quality environments for us to live in and also improving our everyday health and well-being. Sustainability is a big area when it comes to choosing building materials and products. And I actually believe that the best approach is for you to determine what your sustainability priorities are and what sustainability means to you. Sustainability in materials and products can mean any or a combination of the following, and these are in no particular order. So it can mean it has a low carbon footprint. It's low tox in its contribution to volatile organic compounds or VOCs in your home. It's recyclable at its end of life. Its production process involves little or no waste. It's made from natural or low-tox components or materials. Its company has a mission based on sustainability goals that feeds into the products it makes and how it operates overall. It's energy efficient in its manufacture or in how it improves your home's energy efficiency. Its manufacture involves low water use or water recycling or it does this kind of things in your home as well. It reuses waste products or repurposed materials. It's super durable and long lasting, so it's going to lower the overall consumption of your home long term, or it contributes more than it uses through a regenerative process. Now, there can be other variations on this and certainly other ways to review sustainability, but it's not sufficient anymore for businesses to claim the greenness of their products and not back it up. In fact, in Australia, the ACCC has the greenwash that's happening in the construction industry and it's been happening for some time, has this firmly on its radar and it's got a strong warning to any companies that don't have a solid foundation for their sustainability claims. Now, if you're looking for more resources on this, I actually have a list of curated websites uh, to go and look for materials inside Home Method. And you can also check out uh, episode 224. There's some more information there on sustainable home updates and what you might need to know. And then the website Global Green Tag, it's actually replaced EcoSpecifier. It's a really good resource for checking materials and products and their sustainability credentials overall. Also, there's now architects and designers that are using carbon calculators as part of their design process to help homeowners create low carbon homes, both operationally and in their embodied energy as they, in their practice, move towards low carbon and carbon zero homes. So I've got some episodes coming up about this. Plus, you can also check out my conversations with Jeremy Spencer from Positive Footprints. That's in episode 232 and episode 233. Now, the second check to make in choosing building materials is to check their warranty. So this warranty check also involves reviewing the specifics of the product or material for its application in your project 
at your location in how you want to use it. So you will find that some locations and applications will actually prevent you from using specific materials or products and having them still be covered under the product's warranty. For example, if your home is in a coastal location, you may um, find that, you know, specific materials may not extend their warranty to your location. And this can especially apply to metal and powder coated products in coastal locations. There can also be some interesting and strange exclusions in a product um, and how it's used when it comes to warranties that are always worth reviewing for your home. For example, it, you know, it could be that specific stone bench tops can't actually be used outside in barbecue areas, for example, or even in an application that you assume they'd be suitable for. Assume nothing, all right? Remember that assumption is the mother of all mistakes and problems, so never assume. Warranties can also be a really great way to compare products against each other. If you're finding that you're struggling to make a choice, you may actually find that the warranties will vary greatly and that will help you decide. Now, one really great document to review is what's known as the MSDS or the Material Safety Data Sheet. Now, not every product or material will have one, but many products actually legally require them. And you can often find these online on the manufacturer's websites. They'll often be within the product listing or sometimes you can find them by entering the part of the website that's labelled for architects or builders. Um, or you can sometimes request it directly from the manufacturer or supplier. The material safety data sheet, that will outline any hazards or specific things to be aware of with a material or a product. And then the warranty will also outline any specific conditions that are required to honour the warranty, which can include, you know, maintenance and installation requirements as well. So checking all of these kinds of things and these documents can be a great way to uncover a lot of the details about specific products and help you see if they're fit for purpose in your project. This type of research can also uncover my third check when choosing building materials, and that's the installation requirements. Now you can find as you dive into learning more about the detail of specific materials and products that some can have installation requirements in order for warranties to be honored. So some materials may require specifically trained or certified contractors to install them. Some materials or products may not be able to be installed next to or in contact with or close to other materials. Some products may require specific fixtures or glues or finishes to maintain their integrity and warranty. So this is the thing about building materials. It's rare that anything operates in isolation and especially when it comes to the home's exterior, which is subject to rain, exposure, heat and cold. The way that materials interact with each other and perform over time, that becomes important knowledge to ensure that they're going to last the distance. You know, even something as simple as natural timber and how it will leach tannins over time, especially at, at, at its fixing points, that's frustrated many homeowners as they've then had, you know, those stains running down the face of their balustrades or ponding on their outdoor terraces. There are ways to work around this and to prevent it from happening in your project or to actually limit its impact when you actually consider this in the design and the detailing and how that material is going to perform. So understand how the products need to be installed and what's actually required by their manufacturers overall in this area. Now the fourth thing to check when choosing building materials is to consider their durability. Our homes, they're a big investment for most of us and mentally and emotionally I've observed that we, we just see them as really long lasting permanent structures and buildings and financially if you're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into something, even more, you most likely want it to last decades, not just years or months. And so the materials that you use need to measure up to these kinds of expectations. And I think this is why we see homes get built out of the things that we've built homes from for decades. You know, we can look around and we can still see buildings that are built from bricks and timber frame and fibre cement sheet, concrete, tile and metal. 
that have been standing for a long, long time. I think this is also why newer materials can have such a hard time penetrating the industry because it takes someone willing to you know, experiment, to take a punt, even if that punt is well informed and demonstrated by the company, then to actually give them a go. You know, But there are so many great and contemporary materials out there that are faster to build with. They're more durable and more sustainable. You know, There's many materials that we built with before bricks, timber, tile, metal and concrete became the go-tos. Materials like hemp and rammed earth and straw that have demonstrated their ability to be durable over much longer periods of time when correctly used. So how do you test the durability if it's a material that you're not seeing on buildings that are decades old? Well, many manufacturers will do accelerated testing to subject their products to conditions that mimic exposure over a longer period of time. So you can always check that. If you're not choosing for durability though, know that you are choosing for replacement, all right? So factor in how that product or material is gonna need to be replaced in the future and what that will involve. And also review what getting rid of that material will involve because waste is a massive problem in the construction industry and just generally in our world. So I believe though, that as our legislation catches up with this, full and partial demolition of buildings is gonna have much more restrictive policies wrapped around them. So take all of that into account now. And please avoid having the thinking that it's just gonna be someone else's problem so you don't have to worry about it. You know, that's one of the reasons that our planet is in the trouble that it is in right now. If we can think that we're custodians of the future, not just inheritors of the past, then we can make much better choices overall, I believe. Durability, it also relates to the functionality of a material and product and how fit for purpose it is. So a lot of the materials and products that we're choosing for our homes, they're subjected to active use as part of us living in our homes. So that can mean moving parts or constant handling and punishment of specific items. So assess durability with that in mind as well and how solid or sturdy items will be over time. You know, this is one of the reasons that I dislike the specification of freestanding baths with a floor-mounted tap in family homes where you have the long gooseneck tap that's actually mounted on the floor beside the freestanding bath. I find that particularly you've got kids around who are in that area and using that bath over the years, the lever action of using that floor mounted tap just means that it will start to wobble and lose its purchase with its floor fixing. And the same can happen with lower cost, you know, more economically purchased uh, sink mounted or bench mounted kitchen mixers because they're just used so frequently. They can start to also ratchet on their fixing. Your stair balustrades, they're another thing that can be like this, you know, where kids can tear down stairs and really swing around that bottom baluster or the mid-level baluster and loosen it over time, especially when, you know, the detailing of it might be super fine and it's got a super small fixing plate at the base of it. So keep all of that in mind when you're choosing items that you're going to be using a lot and you're looking at the detailing of those items with your team as well. The fifth check that I recommend to do when choosing building materials is to look at the maintenance. So this can be the maintenance requirements so that the warranty is actually honoured should something go wrong with the product or it can be the maintenance requirements so that you're getting the best from the product or material and your home long term. Of course, our homes are buildings that need to be maintained and that includes repainting homes, cleaning out gutters, changing or cleaning filters in air conditioners, re-oiling timber and a range of other maintenance requirements. 
I've seen homeowners after a really big rain in a fairly new home or even one that was finished a few years ago, they'll actually call their builder after a big storm complaining of defects because they've got leaks and their builder will make the time to go out dreading a bunch of work that's going to, you know, that they're worried is going to have to be done under their builder's warranty conditions only to discover that the gutters are chockers with leaves, you know, months or years of leaf litter and that's what's actually caused the leak. You know, this is especially relevant for homes that are in bushfire zones and have bowel ratings because the maintenance of a home and the land around it or its asset protection zone, that can be critical to its performance during a bushfire. Equally, homes that are in areas that can be inundated during storms or have overland flow pathways near them, you know, they can benefit from regular maintenance to ensure drains are clear and the water has somewhere to get away quickly. And you can find that insurance policies can actually void claims if proper maintenance hasn't occurred on a property as well. So when you're choosing a building material or a product, actually review the maintenance requirements and discuss it with your team. You may actually find it helpful to see if it's something that you can commit to upkeep wise, or if you prefer something that requires less attention, time and investment from you to maintain. Now, you may be wondering where financial cost comes into all of this, and that's my sixth check to make when choosing building materials. However, I want you to think about financial cost in five ways because many homeowners make the mistake of focusing on the first way that I'll mention here, but not in the other ways as well. So when I'm talking about cost here, I'm talking about the financial cost, so or the monetary cost. For other costs, I want you to refer to the selection criteria that I'm mentioning overall especially the sustainability credentials, because that's going to help you think about and minimise costs such as environmental costs. But these are the five financial cost criteria that I'd suggest you consider. So the first is the cost to purchase the material or product for your project. The second is the cost to deliver the material or product to your site. The third is the cost to install the material or product, both in labour and other items and machinery that might be needed. The fourth is the cost to maintain that material or product over time. And the fifth is the cost to later replace it when and if it breaks down. Now, when you're reviewing all of your material and product selections, it's actually useful to balance all of these costs in your assessment of the materials or products. You can often find that a material product may be cheap to buy, but it's expensive to install or to deliver or it can be more costly to purchase, but not require a lot of cost in its maintenance. So for example, when you're comparing toilets, many will look at the componentry of a toilet with an in-wall system and look at that and see that it's cheaper to the back-to-wall toilet that has an exposed system. However, that cost comparison will usually change once you take into account the labour and materials involved to frame out the wall for an in-wall system and to install the in-wall system and that can make the in-wall system the more expensive choice in a direct comparison between the two. Natural timber, it requires maintenance generally every six to 12 months so that it looks like the day that it was installed. So that can mean investing in refinishing timber yourself or paying for it to be refinished one or two times a year. Or by alternatively choosing a product, a timber product that you're happy is going to silver with age and it being okay to do that based on where it's installed and located and it still look the way that you want it to. Even a paint finish on the outside of your house, an acrylic paint finish, that's going to need to be repainted every 10 to 15 years. And if that paint is on the upper floor of your home in a two-storey home or it's in a difficult to access area, then repainting may be a big undertaking for you personally or it may require the erection of scaffolding and professional help to repaint. 
I've seen homeowners actually make a call to use a finish or a material product or a cladding like Colour Bond to the upper floor of their home. So they've used a powder-coated metal product on the outside cladding of their home that doesn't need repainting every 10 to 15 years. It just needs to be washed down with water because even though that had a higher upfront cost to purchase and install, they calculated that the upfront cost difference will have paid them back by the time that they pay for that first repaint of an acrylic cladding by contrast. Now, delivery costs and requirements for delivery and installation, that can be a massive consideration for a project. So I've seen people choose items thinking that it'll save money, but then they have no idea that that means that they might need to crane things in and that can then mean paying for traffic control and machinery and freight costs in particular, they're proving, especially lately, to be a big cost in many projects. Now, it can be tricky to think like this because when you're balancing a budget, you can just be trying to eke out savings here and there to get everything you want to fit in the amount of money that you have to spend on your future home. However, when you choose the cheaper item that lasts less time, you are essentially choosing the cost to replace that sooner. And you're setting yourself up for future spending that yes, you don't have to pay for right now, but may come in the future at unexpected times that are less welcome or manageable right now. Now, many do think that sustainability purchases are like this, that it's going to cost more now to include the sustainability for promised savings that will come over time. However, I do want to point out, please know that many of the most impactful sustainability choices are not financially cost-based. They're instead design-based. They're about prioritising decisions like designing for orientation and about thinking how to use natural assets to improve the energy efficiency of your home and about building smaller footprints so that you can reduce your consumption overall and not be spreading your budget so thinly. So, if you're viewing your budget as how much home or how much space or how big a home will this actually enable me to, to afford, then you're most likely going to find that you're always battling and juggling competing demands on your budget. Instead, I suggest asking yourself, you know, what is the best kind of home that this budget will enable me to buy that's in alignment with all the things that are important to me? Because that will impact whose help you will seek and then how you go about designing and building your home overall. Lastly, my seventh thing, my seventh selection criteria when choosing building materials is aesthetics uh, or how the material or product will look. And I also will mention at this point how it will feel. Now, it may seem strange that I've put this as the last thing to consider when so often we are choosing building materials and products for the impact that they have on us personally and the way we want our homes to look and feel and also the particular style or aesthetic that we're chasing in our renovation or new build. I do think that aesthetics is actually the first thing that most people are looking for in materials and products. And I suppose I'm being a bit cheeky by putting it last, but I largely want to point out that there are so many other factors to consider when you are choosing your materials and products. So don't just get seduced by how something looks. Do your homework thoroughly so that that material or product that you're falling in love with will actually perform over time and do the job that you need it to. You can find that there's lots of materials that will create a similar aesthetic finish in your home, but they'll vary widely in the other selection criteria that I've listed here. And you can also find that there's materials that will look one way or they'll be deliberately imitating a finish or a product and yet they've been made a certain way so that they can deliver on the other performance criteria. So, for example, there are so many products that mimic the look of natural timber but they're made from all sorts of materials of varying performance and sustainability credentials. 
Now, this is why I've added how something feels to the criteria of aesthetics. So you don't just look at your home in your everyday use of it. You will touch, handle it and be in contact with the specific materials and products that you choose as well, both internally and externally. Now, if I find that if something looks solid, but if it then feels light and flimsy or when you knock on it, it sounds light and flimsy, you know, when you touch it, when you handle it, that can be really jarring in your experience of your home. And if something looks natural, but then it feels really artificial and plasticky when you touch it, then that can be also really jarring. The definition of aesthetics is a set of principles concerned with the nature and appreciation of beauty. So I find that beauty can be expressed and felt in lots of different ways. Beauty can be in something's appearance alone, but when it comes to your homes, I actually believe that true beauty comes from a combination of how useful something is as well as how it looks. So know that the products and materials you're choosing will not only look beautiful, but that they'll be useful over time. And that I know that then you'll set yourself up to make great investments in your home and your future lifestyle. Okay, so let me summarise those seven checks or those seven selection criteria when choosing building materials for your renovation or new build. And remember, right up above all of this is that it needs to be uh, needs to meet your local building codes and legislation and also needs to be fit for purpose, all right? Those two things are given and then these are my seven selection criteria. So when choosing building materials, consider the following. Number one, the sustainability credentials of materials, which can be reviewed in a variety of ways and also linked to your own personal sustainability priorities. Number two, the warranty conditions for materials and products and how that may apply to your location and your desired application or use. Number three, the installation requirements of specific products and materials and what that may mean for your project's construction and team. Number four, the durability of materials and products that you're choosing, especially related to their functionality and performance over the long-term use of your home. Number five, the maintenance obligations of materials and products and what that means for your time and your investment in your home. Number six, the financial cost and considering cost in five ways, the cost to buy, the cost to deliver, the cost to install, the cost to maintain and the cost to replace. And lastly, number seven, the aesthetics in both the look and feel of the materials and products that you're choosing. Now, you may add other criteria to your selection process when you're choosing building materials and products, but hopefully this has given you a great start to consider. You know, for example, I was speaking to a builder the other day. He is so sick of all the packaging that everything arrives in when he orders things to site. And then what that means for the amount of waste that his sites are generating. He keeps track on the, the amount of waste, the tons that they take in various locations and the skips that they have to provide. You know, also the environmental cost um, and the, just the cost of that it is in their projects generally. So he's now reviewing all of his supplier list. He's reviewing the products and then he's reviewing the relationships that he has based on how he can source things from where he needs to get them from with reduced or no packaging and what he can do in terms of sending and picking things up so that he can cut he can bring it to site without all of the packaging on it so you know that may be something that your team is specifically really interested in there can be so much to think about when it comes to the selection of building materials and products for your home 
And when you think about just how many decisions you're going to have to make and how many things you'll have to choose, that of course can get overwhelming. So if you're a homeowner listening to all of this and you're thinking, I am going to never be across all of this detail, please know that it's not necessarily your job to be, all right? It's why you hire professionals to work with and you create really great working relationships with them. It's why you come here to listen to Undercover Architects podcast and it's definitely why I know homeowners will join Home Method. And it's also why I include Inside Home Method, a shopping list of all of the items and products that you're most likely going to need to choose and review for your project. So then you can actually know well ahead of time and you can be proactive in your research. You can have more time to make decisions. You know, I've seen this pay massive dividends for so many Home Method members as they found it's helped minimise the stress in their projects and given them the chance to make more informed decisions. And of course, they've had the community to check in with, they've had me to check in with, and there's lots of other resources inside Home Method to help with the selections of materials and products in your future home. I share this information with you largely though because I want you to be able to cut through the salesperson speak that is out there and not get seduced and carried away with the glossy images and the polished social media of companies and brand ambassadors and actually be able to make informed and effective choices for yourself. You know, we're not choosing outfits or a pair of shoes here that you might discard at the end of this season. These are much longer term choices, usually with much more significance and impact. And so knowing how to choose well, that can help you end up with the home that you want rather than just what the builder or designer always does. See this as a great opportunity for you to open up conversations with your team about the products and the materials that you're wanting to use, you know, to review and to look at other projects and to add all of this to your knowledge base as you move through your project. And then you can choose and you can work with professionals that you know just aren't doing trendy work or trying to do the latest stylish thing, but they're actually talking about the functionality, the durability, the performance, the longevity, as well as the aesthetics in their projects. And when... When you've decided on a material that you do want to use and the builder says, oh no, you know, don't use that. We always use this. Be sure that you ask why, okay? And then see that that's matching up to the reasons that you had with your own ideas and choices as well. Plus, if you have actually decided on and you've done all the research and you've worked with your team to make a a specification or decided on a specific material or product, be sure to include that as a specification by brand name and product name in your contract documents so that it's not actually open for substitution contractually. Okay, that's the best way to ensure that you actually get what you want in your finished home. Far too many builders I see, they're substituting products and materials, sometimes for the wrong reasons. You know, it might be that they're getting kickbacks from suppliers or it's just that they've got used to using that specific product and so they substitute it in. Uh, There can also be really valid reasons though why a builder or an architect or a designer will prefer one product over another because, you know, they've done their research or they've had a product perform badly and that's given them long-term headaches on other jobs. So, open the conversation, you know, make this a dialogue and know what's going to be used in your home so that you're aware of what you're getting and also your obligations in maintaining it long term. Now that was a chunky episode, I crammed a lot in but hopefully you found that super helpful when it comes to thinking about, researching and choosing building materials and products for your future home. I really do hope that it's been useful for you. Before I go, let me remind you about two things, okay. So firstly, You can get a full and free PDF downloadable transcript of this episode with all of the resources. Uh, There's lots of extra stuff that I have put in those resources for you. You can grab that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 256, the number's 256. 
Uh, so make sure that you grab that if uh, you want to save this off for later. And also, if you're listening to this around the time of its release, please join me for my live online workshop uh, that's called The Four Factors to Make or Break Your Project. It's happening in November 2022. And you can check out the dates and the times and register your free spot to turn up live or to catch the replay by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash register r-e-g-i-s-t-e-r and you can get that link in the show notes for this episode as well both of those links are going to be in the resources as i said as well now remember to if you'd like to be more educated and informed and also access support and guidance in your project journey and home design you can join me and our incredible community in my flagship online program home method as always thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally until next time